0: Out of the park baseball is already the best baseball simulator out there and it's gotten even better with the release of their new perfect team mode. Perfect team is their foray into the ultimate team card collecting modes that have revolutionized the online experience for sports games. If you already have OTP 19 then you have perfect team. Just go to the home page and click perfect team on the right hand side and you'll begin with your six starter packs to build the team. And from there, you can choose to open more packs or dive into the robust auction house and use perfect points to craft the team that you want. The depth of players is truly amazing with a card for every player present on an MLB roster, as well as legendary throwbacks like Babe Ruth, Walter Johnson, Cy Young, like Darryl Strawberry, Larry Walker, Manny Ramirez, all the way down to novelty players like Bob Eucher and Snuffy Sternweiss. That's right. I said Snuffy Sternweiss. That's a real player. Once you have your team, you build your lineups, you build your rotation, you pick the strategy that you want. You want to run a small ball team. You want to be a full saber matrician. You want to be somewhere in between. You want to run an unorthodox. You can choose You know how often that you're stealing, how often you're using shifts, the slowness or quickness of the hook for pitchers and relievers. A lot of detail there that you can set for the team and how it will run during the simulations. Uh, and once you set all that, you submit your team, and the game simulates outcomes every 30 minutes from 9 a.m. to midnight central. Seasons run from Monday to Sunday, with every day of the week covering a month and then Sundays covering the playoffs. Will you make the playoffs and be promoted to the next level? Or finish with one of the worst records in the league and possibly face relegation down to a previous level? Download the game for just $20 at ootpdevelopments.com and use code SLEEPER19 for a 10% discount at checkout. That's ootpdevelopments.com. Hello and welcome to episode 636 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It is Wednesday, January 30th. I'm your host, Paul Sporer, and I'm fine solo today, and I'm talking about catchers. I did not get a chance to be on the Justin and Jason episode from Sunday where they previewed the position, so I figured I'd go ahead and give my own little deep dive on it and and be able to give my thoughts on, on how the position works out. I think it is an interesting position. It's, it's definitely bad. Uh, it's remarkably thin and so it's there's going to be a lot of interesting approaches to it so uh yeah let's just go ahead and dive right into it talk first about strategy now most of the leagues i play in are two catcher leagues um but i'll start with one catcher real quick so if it's one catcher and let's just say you know obviously the 10 12 15 that really varies if it's 10 i'm really waiting um just going by adp the 10th catcher off the board Right now is Francisco Mejia. In the guy right before him is Danny Jansen and Buster Posey's eight. Posey or Jansen, I'm completely fine with. You know, I'm I'm not gonna go too crazy on catcher in a ten team, one catcher league. Start to get into twelve and fifteen. I don't I don't necessarily want to be the last one. Um I might just continue to focus on on those guys. Now Posey and Jansen are split in terms of expectations, right? We know what Posey is. He's been a superstar forever. And, you know, him getting back to that level is not out of the realm of possibilities. Danny Jansen, meanwhile, is an interesting gamble who's got uh, some, some skills and with the trading of Russell Martin should have clear pathway to getting full-time, uh, a full-time run behind the dish. So I'm only grouping them by the ADP that they're going by. not, And they're 100 picks apart, by the way. It's like a clear cliff. So pairing those two names together, I don't want to make it sound like I have them on some sort of um, equal footing here. It's Posey, and then it's Wait Forever, and then Jansen, Mejia, Jan Gomes, Jorge Alfaro come into the mix. So yeah, Grandal, Ramos, those are guys I like. I'm looking at them in like a 12-teamer as well. Uh, and 15 teamers. So I'm not going to be the last one in those leagues, even if it's one catcher. Now two catcher is interesting because I am living with those same guys. And obviously you have to pay a bit more of a premium for them, it, relatively speaking. And the thing of it is what I desperately want to avoid is the full on end game, especially for both of my catchers. If it happens to where I only get you know i get one end game catcher and he's a dollar or two or one of my last picks and i'm just taking a flyer okay you know that that can happen but as a strategy i don't like it and it used to be something that i would that i would go for as a strategy i would pencil it in right away in an auction and say you know what i'm spending $2 on catcher let me disperse the rest of that money and it's just not worth it you're unlikely to take the gains there let's say eight dollars you know maybe you were going to go five each and instead you decided to go one each and that extra eight dollars is unlikely to to make up the value that uh that you're going to lose with those two garbage catchers and i've talked about this before but in the front of the baseball forecaster there's a lot of great writing and and different articles and uh things that you should be interested in and one of the best ones in recent years that i found was profiling the end game and talking about the one dollar picks, catchers the only position to lo- to lose money um, on the entire diamond, and they lose easily. According uh, compared to their other hitting compatriots, there, pitching, uh particularly relief pitching, is only an average value of plus thirty five cents, uh, but two dollars for starters. They're minus a dollar sixty eight. Catchers are in the end game. The average loss is minus seven seventy seven again easily the worst among hitters and only as far as average loss only second worst to the minus 10 10 10 dollars 10 cents from relievers so they're a remarkably bad investment and so you're just hemorrhaging money there and i know that concept sometimes like well what do you mean they're not taking money out of you know off of my team or whatever i'm, I'm saving that money i'm spending it elsewhere we're talking about the composite value and no your fantasy league isn't judged at the end of the year by who gained the most value. Um, that's not that's not how it works. So who garnered the most dollar value? But it's the translation of it, right? And and they're bleeding you with basically two empty spots. You're not getting those those runs and RBIs to stick around, even though it doesn't look like it's uh, anything major. You know the the sixty five runs, the the fifty ribbies, like. Or, or maybe reverse those i don't know let me actually go to catcher real quick and see how many guys did that because that might be a little bit of a high threshold let me bring it down to like 200 plate appearances just to get a big sample here how many guys what did i say 65 ribbies that's a lot that, that's a lot more like more like the 45 45 type but you need you need that you can't be taking 30 30 there the, that and and in lieu of a forty-five, forty-five, those those fifteen runs, fifteen ribbies, can be big, and then they're bleeding your average. And yes, they don't play as much, um, so the the average hit isn't as substantial, but it's a hit nonetheless. And they're just hurting you across the board. So you really want to be careful. I don't want to be in the super end game with catchers. Like I said, maybe one, maybe I have a flyer, and I've I've gotten a few bargains elsewhere in the auction. So I only have that one dollar. Okay. Uh, it's not going to be the end of the world, but I used to plan. I used to go in with $2 on catcher for my two guys, and it's it was a bad idea. And um, I don't do that anymore. So I, I, I kind of live in the middle tiers, and we'll, we'll get into it here as we dive in uh, tier by tier. So let's go ahead and start that. As always, I'm using the NFBC uh, average draft position as a guide here. And you can find that uh, in the show notes. You can go ahead. Now, I can't link directly to it, unfortunately. Uh, it only has the, the general the general link. And then you have to select what you want to do. So if you want to follow along with what I'm looking at primarily here, I did have to uh, finagle it a little bit to get uh, some guys earlier. Actually, no, no, no. What what I did, sorry. I, was, I started on one path. I was just going to look at the online championship leagues. Usually we've been doing draft champions. And I was going to look at the online leagues because uh, those are actually run. Like you have to run those during the season. And I thought the draft champion might skew the results a little bit. Because you kind of have to go in and and carve out spots for like four or five catchers. Or else you're going to be left with nobody behind the dish unless you just go big. And so I thought maybe it would skew it. So I looked at that. And that didn't include enough guys. So I went back to draft champions. So what I'm doing is draft champions... Um, and starting on january 1st through the 30th so if you want to follow along there and again i'll have the link to the adp in the show notes but we're just using it as a guide um to jump off and talk about these guys there's a clear tier at the top it's only two guys and gary sanchez has reassumed the top i think real muto went first in my first few drafts of the fall back in uh back in november there and now it's sanchez pretty easily um Actually, I, I don't know why I said pretty easily. He's not even going a full pick ahead. I'm a clown. But he's regularly going there. And his min pick is what I meant is pretty easily established as the lowest min pick among catchers. Gary Sanchez is at 59.88. And then JT Realmuto at 60.08. But Gary Sanchez has a min pick of 33, whereas Realmuto has a min pick of 45. So... I think people have come back on onto the gary sanchez train um and i understand it by the way i understand why he's the first catcher off the board i think he's my top catcher too you know obviously he had his uh he had his issues last year and despite those issues playing just 89 games he still popped 18 homers with 51 runs 51 ribbies now he had a terrible batting average he hit 186 but he was let's see three four tied for fifth in homers for Gary Sanchez. He was one four fifth in r- runs and ninth. Actually, I, I think eighth because there is a tie there. So eighth highest, eighth highest. Obviously, he was he was the ninth person because there were a couple guys at seventy four. I don't know that that distinction necessarily matters to say eighth highest versus just ninth and not worry about the ties but either way top 10 so he was top five top five and then uh top 10 in homers runs ribbies dreadful in batting average but the bottom line is he only played 89 games did gary sanchez and he was still he was still out there doing damage as a catcher um that just kind of speaks to to where his bat is it couldn't have gone worse A 197 Babbitt, the injuries um, I'm going to say only, only an 18% homer to fly ball rate because I do think that he's going to live in a higher range. So I really think that everything, you know, kind of went south for for Sanchez. He still put up a good season, and you should still be taking him number one at catcher. Now it's up to you if you want to dive in early and be that guy who gets that big lead out there at catcher. And then that'd be where I'd be more inclined to really wait on my second guy, but not too long, or else you undercut the value of a Sanchez, right? I think sometimes people take a Sanchez, real muto, and then they take, you know, Carlton Fisk as their second, somebody who's not even in the majors. Like they just get nothing for that second one. It's like, well, you do kind of uh, chop a little bit off of of what value you're getting with the top guys so be careful not to do that but uh, those are the top two jt romuto i think could could leapfrog sanchez as the number one come full-on draft season in march if he's traded because i mean that's holding him back you know he did have a a great year last year breakout season uh, you know career the 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 term breakout is something i i don't know if it's just semantics that i i really want to iron out or what but it's weird when people say breakout and they've already had, like, a great season before. Like, wasn't 2016 his breakout year when he hit 303, 343, 428, 11 homers, 12 stolen bases? Now, this year, he he popped 21 homers, 277, 344, 84. It was a better season. Was it a breakout? I don't know. Does it matter? No, probably not. But the bottom line is, uh, Real Muto still had another great season. The fact of the matter is, though, he's dreadful at home. Because that home ballpark is tough. And so he has a 678 home OPS, 848 on the road for JT Romuto with 22 homers uh, home, 37 away. And the plate appearances aren't different enough to merit such a gap. He has 1,008 plate appearances at home, 1144 on the road. So even if you neutral, if you gave the same number... The, the gap would still be massive. You might cut off a homer or two off of the road numbers to say per plate appearance, but it would still be just a severe road advantage for JT. So he needs to get the heck out of there. Let alone the fact that the surrounding cast, he could go anywhere. I mean, anywhere. He'd go to Detroit He'd go to Baltimore. I think you'd get a better surrounding cast, but the bottom line is, he needs to get out of that ballpark. we got to get him out of there. So hopefully they figure something out. I feel like they're dragging their feet on trading Real Muto because they don't want to get smoked again. They haven't done well in these trades. They traded an elite outfield and don't have a whole lot to show for it. It was stupid to trade the elite outfield in the first place, so I'm kind of glad that they that they got burned. Sorry, Marlins fans, but you have the worst ownership and management team going and uh, absolutely no reason to, to trade three superstar outfielders and get what you got Uh, but anyway enough of that that's the top tier like i said they're out in front by a large margin they're at about 80p 60 you jump down to sal perez at 108 now he could have been kind of his own tier because then it's another uh another jump of picks down to 140 for wilson ramos but i'm just going to group it together here it's gonna be sal perez at 108 Wilson Ramos at 140. I'm going to round. By the way, I, I was specific on the 59.88 and 60.08 with Sanchez and Real Muto to show how close they were, but for the most part here I'm just going to round. So it's uh, Sal Perez 108, Wilson Ramos 140, Wilson Contreras 141, Yasmani Grandal 142, Yadier Molino 1 Yadier Molina, I said Molino, I think 144, and Buster Posey 150. So, that's an interesting group. And I mentioned earlier that I'm probably going to kind of live in, in this group here. Not necessarily with the top guy. I am surprised that Perez is so far out in front of this group. I, I'm struggling to see why, I think. I, I don't I don't quite understand that. Now, he is a volume guy. They do uh, have no issues. Obviously, that's kind of the big thing with Sal Perez about... They have no problem running him into the ground that usually yields second half issues, but he does have four straight seasons of 20 plus homers. Uh, Three of those four are 70 plus ribbies, including 88 or 80, excuse me, 80 on the button. Each of the last two years, 50 plus runs in five straight seasons, actually the 70 ribbies, um, 70 plus ribbies in four of five seasons, actually five of six, you know, I just keep looking up at the next (laughs) – I didn't put show notes on Sal Perez. Sorry. Now I'm I'm just kind of looking at his Fangraphs page here. The bottom line is – okay, I'm I'm going to put a kibosh on myself right now. I think I've said the bottom line is about 14 times already, and I'm like 17 minutes in. Get off that crutch phrase, you clown, and just talk normally. Anyway, (laughs) Sal Perez, I get it. With the volume, I still don't think that he belongs that much ahead of the rest of these guys. Though I like both Wilsons, Ramos and Contreras, uh, Grandal. I refuse to quit Posey right now, especially with a major discount compared to where he's where he's gone in previous years. You know, Posey, somewhat similarly to Gary Sanchez, had an injury-riddled year and still performed. Now there were issues. He hit five homers did uh did Posey but he hit 284 to kind of combat that still drove in 41 and scored 47 runs despite only 448 plate appearances I know these these runs in RBI totals are really jarring what after we've talked about other positions or we'll talk about them we've only talked about shortstop so far but they're really jarring because it's like that's not good that's that's a couple months for some of these elite guys i get that posey still had like a 10 12 season it wasn't good i'm not sitting here trying to pretend that it was awesome or anything but we still saw skills his strikeout and walk rate were still very much in line his home run rate dropped a uh, home run to fly ball rate dropped from eight to five percent and that's not going to continue in the BABIP dip to 316 from 347. Now, the 316 is more in line with his career metrics. The power is what has has folks worried. And obviously, that ballpark doesn't foster power. So I'm not expecting him to skyrocket back up. But if he gets back on track with another 550-plus five, plate appearances for Posey, I think we're going to get our double-digit homers and our 65-plus runs and RBIs with a great batting average so i'm I'm plenty happy to take him there and he's going the last of this group at pick one fifty. I think that's a I think that's a great that's a great price for Posey i think a lot of times we talk about you know a guy recency bias and not getting locked into it and then we spend so much time talking about recency or, or talking about things that that are just recency bias where we get so locked in on what they did in the previous season. Without acknowledging that, yeah, I mean that matters. It, it's weighted the most when you do a projection or something. But it's not—it's not only who they are. And I think it happens primarily with the negative. Actually, I would say it happens primarily with the outliers. When someone's really good, we're going to talk about how good they're going to be again this year. Um, you know, when they're when they're really bad and really fall off from where they were. Well, that's who they are now. Posey's battery mate. Madison Bumgarner. Well, he, he's trash now because he was he was poor relative to his his standard in eighteen. There were some issues in seventeen too, but I don't think enough to really start freaking out. But that's this is not a starting pitcher. One, I'm not talking about Madison Bumgarner. So yeah, Posey, I really like um, Yasmani Grandal. I think there's a little bit of negativity on him because the last thing we saw was that poor playoff but i mean that didn't affect anything fantasy wise he's going to a new environment that's going to be the lineup you know is going to be strong again he loses nothing there and i think he gains in ballpark going to milwaukee so i'm very much in on grandall i've i've been buying grandall's like, waiting for that that true transcendent season for like 5 years now um, since, since the little 15 homer surge in 14, I've, I've bought him in 15, 16, 17 and 18 and, you know, 27 homers and 72 ribbies back in 16 with 89, uh, sc- sorry, that was his hits, not runs. It was 49 runs, but that was a very strong season. And last year was good too. 24, 68, 65 runs, two forty one average. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I, I, think there's something where I'm dreaming, I'm wish casting, uh, you know, like a 375 OBP. I focus more on his OBP than average because I do think the average is going to be something that's always going to lag. Of course, to get 375 on the OBP, he'd have to boost the average to say 265, 270, which would be amazing. And then 30 homers, 80 80 or 85, 85, something like that for Grandel. That's That's what I keep dreaming on. He's going to be 30 this year. It's just unlikely to happen, but hey, they acquired somebody else in the offseason last year who became an MVP and maybe Rio Muta, or excuse me, maybe, uh maybe Grandal is ready to surge on the heels of joining their club. I mean, heck, they got two guys who came over and had arguably their best seasons. Actually, I don't know that Kane's was, I think 2015 would be Kane's best season. So anyway, but yeah, I like Grandal. Um, I'm still going to continue to take him. Wilson Contreras is an interesting one to me because I don't see any buzz for him. And he was very popular last year. And now all of a sudden it seems like a lot of folks are running away. And this, we talk about this phenomenon a lot too. And, you know, guys are the best thing since sliced bread. They have a disappointment. And now they're persona non grata. Yeah, it was a struggle. You know, he went from 276 to 249 with the batting average, 21 to 10 with the homers. And this was with more playing time, by the way. So the volume numbers coming down was particularly alarming. He dropped 20 ribbies. Um, He had 115 more plate appearances. So that, that was kind of the bummer with Wilson Contreras, was that 116, excuse me. But he actually had more volume and yet dropped all of his counting categories except for runs, but that stayed stagnant at 50. And, and his triple slash fell across the board, including 109 points off his slug, which was the key driver behind his underwhelming season. Even with that underwhelming season, though, he was a 100 WRC plus, 10 homers, 4 steals, 50 runs, 54 ribbies. Like, it didn't kill your season. And he's going to be 27. Uh, he was great in his first, you know, 700 in... 14, no, 711, excuse me, I think that is. 711 plate appearances as a big leaguer with 33 homers, 7 steals. Uh, eyeballing the average, I would say it's probably like a 279. He was great. 88, uh, 83 runs, 109 ribbies. So, don't forget him. Now, his price has not tanked. 140 is still... A substantial, he's going ahead of Grandal, going ahead of Posey, going ahead of Molina. So, I don't want to overstate it on Contreras either and pretend like he's just been completely forgotten. Nobody likes him at all. And I, I did maybe, you know, suggest that a little bit when I said he was persona non grata, but I do think that the hype has really died down. And now, all of a sudden, he's an interesting buy at a fair cost. So, that's Wilson Contreras. I do like him, Yadi Molina, you know what is it timex timex watch the takes a lick licking and keeps on ticking i don't think they still run those ads so i'm i'm showing my age there but you know he just keeps doing it another 20 homers last year 261 average 74 ribbies chipped in even four steals he was four for seven he shouldn't have been running but he was 55 runs had nine steals the year before that's not going to happen again but he seems to be get you know constantly giving you that chip in three to four i'll take it i'll take it honestly if it's zero i don't care it's not bad i'm gonna get a decent batting average i'm gonna get upper teens maybe low 20s pop and good runs and ribbies from yadi molina even at age 36 i feel confident in that i really do and so he's some he's somebody again that I'm still I'm still open to taking. It's boring, but not every pick has to be flash, flash and fun. So just take boring ass yachty and enjoy it. And then did I say anything on Wilson Ramos? I mentioned that I do like him. He's gonna be going over to the Mets. Uh, I do think that that's a solid lineup, top to bottom. It's really deep. It's not superstar laden, but they got contributors everywhere and Wilson Ramos looks to be in right in the smack dab in the middle of it if he's in between Cano and Conforto he's gonna have guys to drive in with Nimmo Lowry and Cano ahead of him and then uh be able to score granted it will take (laughs) it'll take like three hits to score him he's not very fast at all Wilson Ramos but Conforto Frazier Rosario behind him Conforto specifically he kind of stands out among that little trio there but People are projecting some breakout potential for Rosario. And I'm a little reluctant to fully quit Frazier. Although some of you may remember that one solo episode years ago when I talked myself into Todd Frazier being like the best player in fantasy baseball. He was pacing to like, what was it, like a 40-20 season or something? And I was just beside myself with excitement. Anyway, Wilson Ramos... Easy peasy uh, at one pick 140. Got no problems with him there. I'm going to have somebody in this range regularly. This Wilson, Ramos, Contreras, Grandal, Molina, Posey. That ranges from 140 to 150. That's a tight, tight range there where those catchers go. I'm going to have one of them in many of my drafts. All right, let's jump down now. Like I said, 100 picks we go to Danny Jansen at 249. Francisco Mejia at 250, Jan Gomes at 257, um, Jorge Alfaro actually rounds to 257 as well. Mike Zanino, 258, Wellington Castillo at 266, uh, let's see here, Willins Astadillo at 269, nice, and uh, Mike Zanino, I, did, I, did I say Mike Zanino? Anyway, Mejia, Gomes, Alfaro, Zanino, Castillo, Estadio, lot of O's at the end there. And then I guess it jumps down. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna save I'm gonna save that next group there. Let me see. Let me put Mejia. Yeah, I'm just adjusting my notes a little bit so that I know who to talk about or who I'm talking about here. I had another guy higher. Gonna move him down. Pardon me here. Notes on the fly. You know when you're listening to the. Uh, to the solo dolos that you get a little bit of the behind the scenes here where I'm, I'm making moves and, uh, you know, taking drinks of water and stuff. Um, in fact, I will get a drink of water while I'm doing this. See, I, I, I mentioned at the outset that I had started by looking at the online drafts and then switched over to the draft champions ones and I missed some of these names in here. And so that's what I'm trying to fix. All right, so Jansen to Astadío. Jansen to Astadío. Let me make sure I've got them all listed because I'm going to talk about them. I'm going to go in this order here. Don't make it because that last that last group I went out of order, and that's going to make editing or for the timestamps interesting for me. So I screwed myself on that one. Okay, Danny Jansen. Love Danny Jansen. Really excited about him. Um, the russell martin trade clears the pathway for him as i mentioned he showed a little interesting flash it was 95 plate appearances what he really showed last year though of note was his triple a work not so much what he did in a a small major league sample it was what he was doing in the minors with a near one-to-one strikeout to walk ratio 12 homers 58 ribbies 45 runs five steals on six attempts 275 average 390 obp 473 slug in 360 plate appearances he comes up to the majors goes 247 347 432 with three homers didn't run at all but again it was 95 plate appearances it's not just not a whole lot to go off of but i'm intrigued I, i really am i did a piece recently on uh potential speed at catcher and not that it was going to be overwhelmingly game-changing right there isn't a lot of speed at the position but the the lack of steals across the league has really tightened up stolen base rankings you're usually going to have an outlier or two at the top and an outlier or two at the bottom the rest is going to be really tight and so if you're getting five to six steals from a catcher when so many other guys are getting zero to two those incremental you know three to four or, or even as high as all five or six if if they're getting a zero of course that can be the difference between four or five points in the standings it, it it can be that tight so i thought it was an interesting topic there were mixed results in the uh in the comments i stand by i thought it was really fun to kind of look at that and and it will be a bit of like a tiebreaker right it's not going to be Hey, go overpay for the... Take Danny Jansen over Buster Posey because he might get you a handful of steals. No, of course not. Come on. I never suggested anything like that. But if it's a tiebreaker on, say, Danny Jansen versus Jan Gomes, I'm going to take Jansen. You know? Because I don't think that the power output is all that different. And I think it can actually get some speed from jansen whereas gomes isn't going to run i feel confident in that so danny jansen he's got his opportunity he'll be an interesting chic pick i think he's i think he's going to end up a wide awake sleeper where he's going to show up on a lot of sleeper lists and and it's gonna be so prevalent that um he's not he's not sneaking by anyone but at pick 250 he can even go up a little bit and still be worth it to me i think if he's a, tracking at pick 225 on average as long as he's going in the 200s i'm interested in danny jansen and so we'll, we'll leave it at that with him let's move on to francisco mejia another one who i think will draw a lot of interest and and maybe end up on a lot of sleeper lists former top prospect traded from cleveland out to san Francisco uh, out to san diego excuse me didn't really do much in his 62 plate appearance sample uh across the two clubs uh, most of it was with the padres 58 58 plate appearances, but the bottom line was 179, 258, 375. I shouldn't even read the number. It's inconsequential. 62 plate appearances. Again, you look at what he's done in the minors, though, and that's that's the the appeal. He really tore it up in the minors for the Padres, their AAA. Now I have split A's here um, on our pages. With the with Cleveland, he put up a 111 WRC plus 279 average and seven homers in 336 plate appearances in 204 fewer plate appearances so 132 he matched that seven homer output put up a 142 wrc plus and a 328 average that was with the padres triple a outlet which i believe is el paso so he had a nice 14 homer season actually matched what he did last year um with 14 homers in double a he had some it was an obscene hit streak. Let me look it up because I, I, I don't want to say the wrong number. I think it was. Was it was it like 47 games? Hang on. Hit streak. I think it was like 40, 47 or 53. 53 was the first number, but I thought that was too high, so I cut it back to 47. But let me see what it was. It was straight up 50. Dang. Dang should have stuck with it although 53 was too high so i was wrong there um but yeah you know had a 50 50 game hit streak which is very cool it does speak to his contact and hit tool even though i mean the streak is is inherently something that's that's fluky it's not you know overwhelmingly skills based but he does have a hit tool that is going to drive his success in the majors for francisco Mejia. doesn't take a lot of walks but doesn't strike out a lot has really been in the teens throughout his minor league career. That's why the 31%, even in the small sample in the majors last year, was a little bit jarring. Because that's just not that's just not his game. But hey, majors are a hell of a lot tougher. So we'll see how Mejia adjusts. If he kind of lives in that 17-18% range with his strikeout rate. He should be able to track a 265 average right off the top, and then we'll kind of see where the power's at in the major league level. He did hit three homers in that small sample, and maybe he was selling out for power a little bit at the expense of um, of his swing and miss. So Mejia... Now, it is a little interesting out in San Diego whether or not is going to get full run because Mr. Austin Hedges is still a thing. So are they going to... Are they going to give Mejia the basic full-time job? Or is Hedges going to be there and Mejia is going to have to fit in? Now, it looked like Cleveland wasn't really going to use Mejia as a full-time catcher if he had stayed there. They seem to be looking at at kind of bouncing him around the field. Let me see if he did any of that with with the uh, Padres. Yeah, in fact, he's ten games was that where's that catcher? He only played uh twenty games with them. So wait, what was it? Ten catcher? Oh, was it a bunch of pinch hit appearances too for Mejia? I think so. So I think half of his appearances last year were pinch hit. They didn't put him anywhere else though. He did have one DH game for each team, Cleveland and san diego obviously an interleague game for san diego but we didn't see any of the outfield stuff that we had seen i believe in the minors Uh, let me see what's games in the minors 29 games in the outfield 11 at third base and 430 behind the dish for mejia so obvious like he's nowhere near austin hedges behind the dish most guys aren't that's not necessarily a, a ding on mejia In comparison to hedges but he's just not catching defense is not his main thing but the outfield is also cluttered out there in san diego so playing time might be a bit of an issue and as i'm thinking about it now it does make this this 10th catcher off the board at pick 250 a little a little aggressive like where's the playing time coming from i think they like hedges back there i think hedges might actually be kind of the sneak tip pick Because he's going much later. I'll tell you that right now. Now, his batting average is dreadful, but he's really added some pop. And he's had a little sneak speed the last two years with seven SBs and eight tries for hedges. And I got him in the next grouping. So that's wild. All right, let's move on to Jan Gomes. He's going to go out, speaking of Cleveland. they I thought when they traded Mejia, that was like, okay, Jan Gomes is going to be our guy. We're going to go ahead and re sign him. You know, he's going to be. age 31 but put him on a three-year deal or something like that and I kind of thought we'd see something to that effect no we did not oh wait no they already had him oh wow that was a trade that wasn't a signing I'm a doof pardon me I am a doof I thought uh I thought that was a signing they had him locked up what the hell is Cleveland doing they had him for 7.1 this year And then a 9 option and an 11 option with 1 million buyouts tied to each for Jan Gomes. And when when Mejia was traded, it seemed like, well, that's what, you know, they've got Gomes. They've got him locked up. Roberto Perez is is a fair C2. You know, roll with that. But no, they traded Gomes. And now their catcher is Kevin Ploiecki, I believe. And Roberto Perez is still there. So they did what I said you shouldn't do in fantasy. They're doing it in real life. They're going bargain basement at catcher. <laughs> You're going to get negative value there, Cleveland. But anyway, back to Gomes. He goes out to Washington. Um, but then they did have a signing that's going to undercut Gomes a little bit and I think has his draft price a little bit too high. 257 as an average draft position is not bad, though. Like, I don't think it's something that you look at, and even with this undercutting of his playing time with the signing of, of Kurt Suzuki, who I'll dive more into later, I don't think it, it it makes Gomes some awful pick. But I do wonder if maybe he should be coming back to the pack a little bit with some of these other guys that I'm going to talk about going ahead of him in lieu of, of Suzuki being there and really going to have that... that halftime roll although at the same time I also wonder how a pick uh, a min pick of 183 really drives up gomes' average his max picks 306 though so he's probably been living pre- predominantly in like the 240 to 300 range and then that you uh, maybe his average pick would have been in the 260s or something and then that that 183. Might have driven it up an extra, you know, eight to ten picks on it, on the average or something. I don't know, but uh, he's all right. You put him in, you get you get your pop. He got his batting average back on track last year after several years being off. Two thirty one in ninety five games, one sixty seven in a dreadful seventy four games back in twenty sixteen, and then two thirty two last uh, in seventeen for Gomes, and then 220, 266. This past season with 16 bombs. He was an all star. He was good. I think he'll be solid for Washington, but they're really going to lean into their duo, as they should, because Suzuki's very good. Like I said, I will get more to Suzuki in a moment. Next up is Jorge Alfaro, and this is another guy in this tier that I do really like. And I also included him, like Jansen, on that speed profile piece based on his uh, sprint speed. Corey Alfaro is definitely faster than you would expect from a catcher, and I think that can help him in multiple avenues. Of course, he can he can nab a few bags if they let him. You know, Gabe Kapler I don't think ran all that much with the club, but he still got three stolen bases in his 377 plate appearances. But I think it can all it can also help him outrun a little bit of his swing and miss issues because he struck out 37 percent of the time last year. But thanks to his ability to hit the ball hard and a 406 BABIP, that was no doubt influenced by 11 infield hits. Jorge Alfaro uh, hit 262, so you know he needs to clean up the game a bit. That that kind of swing and miss is devastating, uh, potentially devastating for a batting average. I mean, you're you're talking you can be hitting 220, 210 and i wouldn't be surprised with that kind of swing and miss but like i said that speed curbs it a little bit that was the fourth most uh infield hits among catchers and the three stolen bases that i mentioned just get the strikeout rate under 30 and let's go from there because he doesn't walk either can can we just can we just work on that because there's pop there's some speed there can even be some batting average there alfaro he was an uber prospect well, Uber it goes too far. Uber prospect for me—that's like a top ten, top twenty guy with regularity. I think he peaked in like the top thirty, top forty. But he, but he was a true prospect. He was on lists for a good while. I still remember. I think most people, if they're really familiar with Jorge Alfaro from back in the day, it's probably because of Jason Parks on the Up and In podcast, really uh, hyping up the legend. And so I'm still, I'm still in here. Age twenty six think he's really starting to kind of come into his own a bit and i will be drafting jorge alfaro on multiple teams without a doubt moving on now to beef castillo i don't know i'm a little torn on him i i've seen him as an interesting catching option in past years for some reason this year i'm just not as enamored of, of old beef and i think it's because despite catcher not being it's not good but in spite of that, I I think I just have several other options that I'm more interested in over Castillo. Does he have a team yet? Is he or is he still lingering out there? Let me see. Castillo, is he still on the White Sox? Am I just dumb? And he and he just he hasn't moved at all, or is he available? He I think he'd be snapped up if he was available. He, he's got to still be on the White Sox. I'm checking just to make sure I, he's on the White Sox. Come on yeah he is okay so you're gonna be batting in the heart of the white Sox order five or six perhaps especially if they sign one of the big bats which i think that lineup could be sneaky decent this year they're gonna add uh they could add one of the big bats still available machado or harper and ego jimenez is going to come up sooner than later you know within the first i would say five six weeks of the season to give him another impact piece for that club in addition to some of the other already nice pieces they have if if Moncada can get his act together and really take a step forward. Abreu gets back on track. I think Yonder Alonso is solid. So maybe it's counting categories. I might be talking myself back into Beef Castillo a little bit. He's still clubbed. Uh, no, man. he only clubbed six homers in 49 games. That's not particularly impressive. A missed time due to injury and a suspension, right? He was suspended last year for his PED situation. Let me see. Wellington Castillo. Where are you? Suspended last year. Correct. It was last year, last May. He was suspended and had shoulder issues, though, so he only played forty-nine games. You'd think that would depress his price maybe a little bit more. I mean, he's at two sixty-six. It's not like he's going high, but okay. I'm not. I'm not as out as I thought. As I do a little bit of a closer examination, we're coming off of nineteen, fourteen, and twenty homer seasons the three years previous, with the twenty coming. In just 96 games with the Orioles, he's still in a home-run friendly environment. If he stays healthy, he should have a pretty clear path to that playing time there. I don't think James McCann is really going to do much. James McCann might rob some of his versus lefty time, though. That is a little bit annoying because I do think Castillo does his best work against lefties. And that's the only thing McCann does well. Yeah, he's got a uh, an 846 OPS against lefties compared to 708 against righties. So that might hurt. Castillo just a little bit, but nothing that I'm going to freak out over. He's perfectly priced here, and somebody to look at if you need some punch. Now, Willens Astadio is a fan favorite for a lot of folks, and it's easy to see why. He's out there looking like Bartolo Colon, playing multiple positions, actually having a tinge of speed, and not only that, not only his look, but his skill set is just incredibly interesting this guy never strikes out never walks and never hits homers now of course i'm using hyperbole there it doesn't truly uh avoid all of those things but if you look at it i mean his career let me do the math real quick on his career minor league strikeout and walk rates like it, it it's it's stunning how little Of of both that he does. He actually has more walks than strikeouts as a minor leaguer, and it's a 3.5% walk rate and basically a 3.5% strikeout rate. It's actually closer to 3 itself. So it's about, uh, we'll just call it 3 for both 3% strikeouts, 3% walks, 29 homers in 2,461 plate appearances. I mean, it's incredible what this guy does. He has a 103 ISO, but he does hit 306. So he uses that contact for good, Will and Zastanio does. And he did he did hit 355 in his short 97 plate appearance major league sample with a 3% walk rate. Or excuse me, 3% strikeout rate, 2% walk rate. He did hit three homers though. A little bit more punch than we would expect for sure. Based on what he and he hit 12 in AAA, So maybe he, he bulked up a little bit last year or, or changed some things in his trajectory. Um, to try to get under the ball give a little bit more lift a little bit more punch because it was definitely more power than we've seen in any other time for uh, Dio. now the problem comes in with playing time and so his price maybe should be even a little bit lower because he might not even start the season on the Major League Club their two catchers Jason Castro and Mitch Garver we haven't even discussed yet they're, they're going later the one thing I would say is that you could actually get away with using him as a utility guy though now I don't know. Maybe it's just uh, – it, it is definitely the the fan in me that wants it to happen more than, than it being logically the right move because I don't know how good he is. Sorry, I dropped my pen. <laughs> I don't know how good he is defensively at those positions. You know, usually when you can play all those positions, it's because you can't really play any of them unless you're just a pure glove guy. But he bounced around. Um, in his minor league career, he's played – Literally everywhere except shortstop. And then in the majors last year in his short time, he played catcher third, second and outfield. And he even pitched. I mean, he's he's the ultimate fan favorite. Willens asked the deal. So, you know, maybe they could finagle it, but Erie Adrianza certainly has to have a better glove. And he's kind of the utility guy there. And then Tyler Austin is more of the, the bench bat with mitch garver on the bench as well but they only have three bench guys right now i wonder if maybe chop a reliever and go with four bench guys um and then at least be at yeah are they at 12 13 pitcher hitter split or hitter pitcher split that's terrible that's just too much man i don't uh that just annoys me i I play a lot out of the park the game i advertise at the open of the show and i'm usually 14 and 11 I'm I'm getting innings out of my relievers, you know. Go out there, not throw every day, because that wouldn't work in real life. But we're leaving innings on the table with a lot of these relievers. Give them longer stints when they go out and pitch. But anyway, that's that's a a side side track there. If they have another bench spot, then they can at least get thirteen twelve on their hitter pitcher split. It could be Estadio's. If he breaks camp, all of a sudden he becomes someone you really want to go out and get as a, as a really fun C2 because getting batting average at catcher is hard enough, particularly getting it late at pick 269. So that could be really nice for Astadio. I'm going to be taking him in leagues. But got to be leagues with a reserve and where I can really – like draft and holds where you are trying to get four or five catchers to plan for the entire season, I'll still take Astadio. I'll be a little bit more cautious in like a 15-team NFBC um, main event or Rotowire Online Championship – because I'm not going to hold Will and Zestadio on it. So if he's not going to break camp, he got to go. All right, next up is Mike Zanino. And I've made my feelings known of Mike Zanino repeatedly throughout the history of this podcast. He is going to move to Tampa Bay this year. He kind of does what he does with the pop. I just I don't find the pop that worth it to take the rest of the hit. Um, yeah, he hit 251 in 2017 and instantly showed how much of a ridiculous fluke that was yes i lost a bet because i suckered somebody into betting on it making the worst decision of his life the old bad process good outcome dusty stole money from me by somehow getting a 255 average 251 average out of that slug with a 37 percent strikeout rate absolutely disgusting and then back down to 201 last year where he belongs and so you know he hit 20 homers and people just focus on that. Say I got 20 homers from catcher. He was a two-three dollar catcher. The batting average completely undercuts the power. He basically needs to hit more like 25 to 30 homers to really deliver a positive value of of note or make his value because he usually goes for five plus dollars in auctions. Does Zanino? So it's not for me. I just I don't want the hit, and so I'm not going to be taking Mike Zanino. Let's jump into the next group now, and I will read those names. Let me do my little timestamp here. I'm timestamping them as I'm talking about them, although I didn't start until Alfaro, so I'm still going to have to tag the first group of guys. So I, I botched that. I don't know why I wasn't just doing it from the jump. But uh, let's see here. This group starts at pick 283, and it includes Isaiah Keiner falefa Tucker Barnhart at 284, austin hedges at 290. i gotta put austin hedges on the list here sorry they got a little bit out of order here and i'm trying to fix it on the fly francisco cervelli at 292. and then robinson Chirinos. where's robinson Chirinos' pick he's at 293. jonathan lucroy at 321. john hicks interesting uh he was kind of a little bit of a standout last year in deeper leagues 325 and then should i cut it there yeah i kind of wanted to i'm actually going to skip the next guy by adp because he's in my next group which is timeshares and long shots Um, but also include omar narvaez and elias diaz at 333 and 347 respectively now they might actually be in timeshares as well I, the grouping the grouping names might be a little little botched um so i apologize on that because yeah i do think like narvaez is sharing time in seattle with who who's their primary guy now that zeno has gone is there is narvaez their starter he is okay so he's not in the timeshare okay but then diaz is with cervelli so i could have put them in the timeshare one the the don't get hung up on the on the uh, namings of these of these tiers here. That's not it's not the big deal. We're talking about the players. That's that's what you really want to focus on here. So let's start with Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Everyone loves to call him Falafel. He was a really interesting player last year for one reason in particular: is that he became catcher eligible and he stole I think nine bases, seven bases, and that alone, that simply that made him a positive value i do think that his 261 average probably helped too let me see how many dollars he earned he had an eight dollar value last year with 43 runs five four homers and 34 ribbies but those seven steals and that decent 261 average helped kiner falefa you know he's going to be c eligible again this year so if he bounces around the field and gets a bunch playing time some of the best catcher twos are the guys who don't catch. Even catcher ones, they're just rare. We don't have any this year, I don't think, unless uh, Francisco Mejia found like a full-time outfield role or something. I don't think any of the catchers that we have this year are non-catching catchers. Actually, it looks like, according to Roster Resource, Kyner Falefa is penciled in as the starting catcher um, because they have Jeff Mathis, who is not a starter. He still He still offers a boatload of defensive value, The small playing time that he gets for Mathis, but he's not a full-time starter. But yeah, you you get what you get from Falefa. He's interesting. You can get some speed from him. Weirdly, and I I think it was my mistake because he didn't show up on sprint speed leaderboards, and that's what I was really, really using for that piece. I didn't include him in the looking for speed in all the wrong places piece for catchers, um, even though he did the seven stolen bases last year. Of course, it was seven for 12 so are they going to keep letting him run i mean he swiped 17 in uh double a back in 27 uh, in 2017 i should say 74 percent success rate was pretty good too so we'll, we'll see but Falafa should still get you like the five six stolen bases so i definitely should have included him in that piece and i apologize there um the batting average seems legit too so decent batting average some speed and then just the volume of hopefully playing regularly whether it's behind the dish or bouncing around the infield uh makes kind an interesting guy i kind of like him here next up is tucker barnhart i liked tucker barnhart a lot last year he was my c2 in so many leagues and part of it was he was coming off of the uh, gold glove and so you knew the playing time was going to be all but guaranteed and you know pretty much it was i mean he played 522 plate appearances 138 games for the reds he got the playing time it's just that his numbers fell back uh he dropped all three of his triple slash numbers from 2 to 248 328 330 372 excuse me 372 slug jeez that was 403 the year before it's not like it was that great and he was career below 400 and still is so 2017 is looking like the outlier but i thought maybe we could see some improvement in barnhart's bat he did add a few homers but he did have a hundred more plate appearances too so he went from seven to ten there and he was a little bit of a sneaky speed option contributing four stolen bases in 17 i was hoping for another three to five maybe even six uh if he got you know if it was commensurate with the playing time that he was going to get but he went 0 for four so he tried a little bit but it didn't work he did get 50 runs 46 ribbies so all in all he was still fine tucker barnhart was And I think he'll continue to be fine this year in Cincinnati. I think that lineup uh, is actually pretty decent. It was last year too, right? So I'm not really saying anything special there. It's going, uh, I should say, continue to be decent. And I'm still intrigued by him. He doesn't cost anything of of merit. You know, pick 284 for your C2 is not bad. And uh, I'm willing to play that. Kirk Casale is behind him, really more of a uh, bat at, at catcher so Par- barnhart's the defensive stalwart there he will likely be batting eighth not a great spot i can't see a lot of potential to move up but you just kind of take it and you get that volume if i can get back up to the 270 area with the batting average and get the 522 point appearances or 460 at bats i guess at bats or what matter for batting average but get that high volume again even if it's more of like a 260 265 and 10 homers three to five steals I'll take it all day from Tucker Barnhart. So I think he's pretty solid. I'll be uh, interested in him as a C2. Next up is Austin Hedges, who I mentioned briefly when talking about Mejia. And he's going to be the starter. Again, he's got the defensive reputation and and skills. Reputation makes it sound like he doesn't uphold it. He's got the defense. That's on lock. And his powers really started to unlock the last two years with 18 and 14 homers, respectively. And he throws in a little sneaky speed. Four and three stolen bases each of the last two years. Again, these are these are small numbers. I freely admit that on the speed. But you're getting them over the guys with the zeros. And if Hedges kind of forces his way into saying he gets the 522-point appearances, now you are talking five, six, maybe seven stolen bases. And those incremental three to four can really be the difference between three, four, maybe even five points in your standings because of how tight steels are. I used the mixed labor in, in one of the comments on that piece. You can go look for it. Um, just go under, if you, if you can't find it easily, just go under JT Romuto's profile. It'll be the first p- piece most uh, recently written by, uh, about him called Looking for Speed in All the Wrong Places. And you can go scroll down to the comments. And I talked about why, why I found this valuable because of the tightness of stolen base categories and i used comparison of labor mixed last year versus the way it looked in 2014 and the differences in speed and how those small uh those small extra sbs over your competition can really be uh, game changing maybe not necessarily on their own in tandem with getting incremental speed elsewhere too but that was kind of the jump off for that so go ahead and take, take a look at that if you care but austin hedges he's a little bit zunino ish though and I will point that out because I don't want to be a hypocrite and say, you know, forget Zanino, uh, but then go get hedges. Because they're damn near the same, really. Bad batting average, power, playing time, defense. And so I would like to see him improve his average. Although 231 is still better than what, what Zanino do last year, 202? 201. Excuse me. So you're talking about a 30 point difference there, still. So I'd still prefer hedges, particularly coming cheaper. Hedges at 290s and Eno at 260. Give me the two round discount and I'll take hedges. The same, the same type of player there. Next up is Francisco Cervelli. And let me timestamp that. And um, you know, batting average is usually what you're getting with Cervelli. And maybe he could be a good pairing. Although he, he's actually given a little bit of the average back for some punch in the last couple years, particularly last year, he had 259, which is still good, but he used to be hitting, you know, 300, 301, 295, 269, which was nice. Um, and then with his Yankees days, he had 298, 271, 266. So he was usually kind of a 265 plus sort of guy, but then 249, 259 in the last two years, but with 17 homers in 708 plate appearances for Cervelli he's gonna be 33 health has been a major concern staying on the field that really undercut um, a heck of a season last year but he still put up a 125 wrc plus with those 12 homers and he could be a good balance for one of these one of the hedges or zanino if you wanted to pair that up with with Cervelli because then his batting average could maybe curb some of the damage that they're going to drop on your team now, if he's still at the 259-249 range of the last two years, not so much. He's just going to add that punch. But if he gets back closer to the 273 career mark that we've seen from Cervelli, um, then that's when he becomes a good complement to those guys who don't hit for any of the batting average. That's why we really need Willens Astadio to make the team and find some playing time because he is the perfect guy to go with these. These batting average drains and, and balance them out a little bit, because that's all he does. And so then you smash the two together, and you got like a nice uber catcher. But we're we're a ways from that right now with uh, Garver and, and Castro kind of chilling there. In fact, we'll talk about those two here on the next tier. But right now we'll go to Robinson Chirinos, and he's going out to Houston. Looks like he should be the full time guy out there. He just kind of does what he does. Um, it's not special. But it is some punch. He's a little bit older. He's going into his age 35 season, but he's put 17 and 18 homers up each of the last two years. He had 65 ribbies and 80 runs last year, which is really nice in a 426 plate appearance season. He only hit 222, but he was at 255 the year before. He's a 233 career with the batting average. The swing and miss really went up from 26% in 16 and 17 up to 33% last year for Chirinos. Chirinos. I do wonder if maybe getting to Houston, if they see some things that they can unlock to kind of curb that strikeout rate a bit. Remember, when they were first making their ascent, they were a big strikeout team. And then they decided, you know what, we're, we're not going to be that. That's not what we're going to do here. And I don't know if there was any sort of team-wide things that they said, here, here's what we're working on to cut strikeouts. Or if they sought out some different guys to bring in to help cut it too. Although not really, because a lot of these are homegrown guys and they were part of the strikeout issues of those years before they turned but now they have some of the best strikeout guys in the game in terms of uh least amount of swing and miss with Bregman and Brantley uh Altuve makes a lot of contact too so we'll see what that lineup can do and if they can get Chirinos to maybe cut down on his he's gonna bat last but even last on a great lineup his volume could still be pretty solid we'll see what happens with uh with up-and-comer Well, sort of up and coming. I didn't realize he was going into his age 28 season, but Max Stassi, I'll talk about him in just a moment, uh, as well. But right now I'm going to move. So that's Robinson Trinos, by the way, I'm going to move over to Jonathan Lucroy and just say whatever (laughs) he's going to be with the angels. He's going to get full playing time. I know there were some teams lamenting that they wanted him as their backup because of the state of catcher. There were going to be full-time roles out there for Lucroy. And so, of course, he was going to look for one of those over being a backup somewhere. And so the simple fact is, he's going to get volume. Now, can he rebound at all? He's been dreadful the last two years. 81 and 70 WRC plus. Six homers, four homers. That's 10 homers in like 930 plate appearances. 935, I think. That is so bad. That is so 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 bad and it's hard to really see a rebound the only thing you can really go off of is just saying track record but how, but but how far can that really go like how long can you say that to where now we have these these devastatingly bad seasons and what what are we doing you know what are we really still doing with luke roy trying to say that it's going to come back now the one thing i will say at least this year the price has come way down and so you're not actually paying for luke roy in any substantive way and so i do like that aspect of it and so if you want to take a shot on luke Roy at least now i like that i like that angels lineup a bit too he'll be batting near the bottom of it but make him your c2 if he's anywhere near your c1 you've you've made an error all right, next up is John Hicks for the Tigers. I mentioned that he was a little bit intriguing last year because he got that C eligibility. And when you're in season and you're looking for somebody who can actually play catcher to peel off the wire, somebody who was hitting pretty well and then wound up with a 260 average and nine homers, uh, looks like just an oasis in, in, in a desert wasteland. Um, so if you hit if you had one of the catcher injuries or your, your Wellington Castillo got uh, suspended, And you were just like, what the heck am I going to do? Now, I don't know exactly when Hicks garnered the C eligibility. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and look that up. He didn't come into the season with it because he only played 18 games there. And you need 20 in um, NFBC. What is NFBC's in-season? I don't remember, so I apologize. But I did, I did mention that he was suspended. He being well Wellington Castillo was suspended on May 24th. And the first seven games of the season for Hicks were catcher. So if it's a five game eligibility, he got that pretty quick. And so say you're out there, at that point in the season, if you hadn't been already picked up, he was hitting 278, 325, 491 with five of his homers. Hicks looked like a godsend for those Wellington Castillo owners where available. Now, you picked him up. And he gave you a 250, 304, 350 with just four homers the rest of the way. But, you know, maybe if you jumped on the train earlier, you got some more of the goodness. He's 29, a bit of a journeyman, uh, not particularly uh, special, but he should get some playing time. James McCann is gone. There's Grayson Griner, who I'm not even going to talk about outside of this mention for Hicks. So Hicks should get plenty of the playing time. He might even get some first base time as well with um when miggy dh's but that depends how much they let kristen stewart out in the outfield as well but hicks could be a non-catching catcher and just that volume alone even on a bad team could be worthwhile so keep an eye on john hicks as a valuable c2 in your deeper leagues next up is going to be omar narvaez out in seattle now he's a really interesting obp play and I don't know that he would go quite as cheaply as he has uh, in these leagues pick 333 on average in an OBP league because he's a 12% career walk rate guy and that's a 366 OBP as well because he does he does hit a, a decent bit as well he's 274 366 379 so no punch but the average and OBP are there he did pop nine homers last year in a in a spurt of power he uh nearly three his ISO from 063 to 154, so you know, not not too bad. I guess he didn't really nearly 3x it. That that's overstating it a bit. But he but he certainly jumped it up quite a bit, uh, two and a half x. Let's let's call it that with the ISO there. But uh, 154 that plays. You know, if I get another, if if we add volume for narvaez uh, in seattle if we add volume he played 97 games 322 played appearances last year let's give him another 125 played appearances. like david fritas is he really doing anything narvaez should get the lion's share the 65 percent share of the playing time can he pop 12 homers with a decent average obp he might be a nice value down here even if you play an average league so narvaez is, is a sneaky c2 and i remember Hearing um, some White Sox fans, they would hit me up on Twitter when I would do different things. If I was doing like a positional thing, I think I remember I did some hidden season stuff where I'd go around the diamond and pick somebody at each spot. And I don't think I included Narvaez on one and they're like, oh, you know, I got to give him some love. And so I ran back something else similar to that about a hidden season or, or, you know, seasons you might have missed type of deal and included Narvaez as a hat tip to those folks because they're right. It was a sneaky good season. And I think the skills are there for another solid season. Now, he's going to a worse hitting environment from Chicago to Seattle. But he doesn't cost anything. Pick 333. I mean, that's that's nothing. Narvaez, interesting C2. He might be the guy to pair with your Zanino or Hedges to curb the, the negative impact of their god-awful batting averages. All right, next up is Elias Diaz. Hang on, let me get his timestamp in there. Sorry. And uh, he's out in Pittsburgh still. And playing time, you know, I think that they would like to focus on Francisco Cervelli as the primary starter. However, his health is going to make that difficult. I don't think it's going to be so easy to just say, hey, he's, he's locked in. So... Diaz got in in 82 games, 277 plate appearances. He popped 10 homers with a 286 average. He also had a little bit of a hidden season. Only struck out 14% with an 8% walk rate. Not bad for a 27-year-old season. He'll be going into age 28. The playing time is really what you what you have to wonder about. I really like this as a C2 for NL only specifically. Um, and then he could be a waiver guy that you kind of add in season if you see that... Anything happens to cervelli and you need a C2 just someone to, someone to be aware of. Don't let him linger out there if you're struggling at catcher with your second catcher and and you're seeing Diaz you know get more and more playing time now it's going to come from cervelli injury though because if cervelli's healthy he's going to play um, and he's going to be the the full-time catcher quote unquote. now that doesn't that's not necessarily going to be 80% of the games. Because we just don't see that as much these days. And particularly with Cervelli going to be age 33 with his injury history. But it'll be hard for Diaz to get enough playing time to make an impact unless something happens to Cervelli. So I'm not sure I would necessarily draft him. Except maybe in a draft and hold. Particularly where I had Cervelli. I'd just get the the Pittsburgh catcher locked up. And get him as maybe my third catcher. Cervelli. You know, maybe like a Grandal, Cervelli, Diaz. And then some long shot fourth guy. I like to get four in those 50 round draft and holds. So, yeah. That's, that's Diaz, a little bit of a, an interesting, a, uh, uh, what's it called, Narvaez type, except not as much playing time. So that just makes Narvaez's draft spot that much more interesting because they're going close. It's 345, uh, excuse me, 347 for Diaz, 333 for Narvaez, and yet Narvaez has a starting role. Pardon me on that, not having my phone muted. And so, yeah, that just, honestly, that makes me like Narvaez even more. All right, now we move into some timeshares and long shots, and this is ADP-related that he is in this grouping down here. Kurt Suzuki at 331 is a steal, but now we're not necessarily going in ADP order, so I'm just going to read these guys off in how I'm going to be talking about them, and it's Max Stassi, Carson Kelly... Then we have and i'll mention their adp when i start talking about them by the way and then we have the mitch garver jason castro timeshare austin barnes russell martin tyler flowers brian mccann christian vasquez sandy leone so let's talk about suzuki yeah he's in a timeshare but he's been fantastic as a part-time catcher how is he going this this cheaply i don't understand it like he he's shown the last two years he doesn't need the volume to make a high impact He's popped 31 homers with 100 ribbies in the last two seasons. That's uh, 697 plate appearances that he's done that in. And he's hit 283 and 271, respectively. He doesn't strike out. He doesn't really walk either, but but I don't really care if you don't strike out and you hit well. He's been a gem. How is he this cheap? I don't get it. He earned $10 and $9 the last two years with part-time playing time as a catcher and he's going that cheap he's going behind Elias Diaz for some reason um or no no no. he's going just ahead of him excuse me excuse me but he's going behind John Hicks Jonathan Lucroy the volume that Jonathan Lucroy is going to get over Suzuki is not enough to make me take Lucroy over Suzuki no thank you Chirinos same thing the volume I don't think is enough because they could match in homers And Suzuki's batting average is going to be way better. So no, 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 no. Yeah, this Suzuki I think is is a steal down here at 331. I kind of kind of like him. I kind of like him close to Cervelli. Cervelli's at 292. I think I think that's the range I like him. Suzuki's another one of those guys that you could maybe go uh, hedges Suzuki double up. Let Suzuki's average help stabilize. He's going to be age 35, but I mean, we've seen tangible changes to believe that what he's doing here is, is worthwhile. Gomes is the better defender and is hitting rebounded last year, but I don't think he's going to be a 70. It's not going to be a 75, 25. It should be like a, it honestly should be like a 55, 45 at most favoring Gomes. So Kurt Suzuki, definitely. All right, Max Stassi is the backup in Houston, and he's going, let me see where his ADP is. He's going 568. He's not going. He's going in draft and holds only. So folks believe in Trinos and don't really think Stassi can do much. I understand that. But Trinos is old, and I don't think he's great behind the dish. So I wonder if there's a cutoff point where his performance could be so poor that they would start to favor Stasi a little bit. They had Martin Maldonado behind Stasi uh, ahead of Stasi last year. Stasi or Stassi, I don't know. I'm I'm switching here. I'm I'm back and forth. And Maldonado known for defensive capability still only got um 404 point appearances. Actually, he was traded there. Excuse me. I thought I thought he was there all year for some reason. Never mind would they have to start oh like gaddis and stuff that's why but anyway i'm curious if if stassi can really beat that 250 plate appearance total that he had last year he did pop eight homers but it was with the 226 average i understand why he's an afterthought he's probably again draft and hold only or somebody that you kind of keep in your mind um in case an injury pops up or that playing time opens up in houston Next up is Carson Kelly, who I do like better than Stassi Stassi, um, because he's going to have playing time. He should he should be out there in full force, out in Arizona now. I was informed by my prospect friends that his defense did come back to the pack a bit last year. I remembered him being uh, elite arm, quality field, and his his defensive ability behind the dish did come back to earth a bit in the minors last year. And so that profile has been, has come down now. He still has those skills. So we'll see if it's just a, a fluctuation or something where his skills have fully degraded. Uh, I do still like him out in Arizona though. I think he's going to get a full-time shot. Who else are they really going to use in Arizona? That would, that would take Carson Kelly's uh, full-time role. Like I think he has a chance. Plus, you know, they want to make the, they want to make the deal look good. Now Alex Avila is still there. Excuse me. That is a viable, backup although wasn't he dreadful for them let me let me look that up i feel like he was absolutely putrid yeah 59 wrc plus seven homers saved him to get a 59 because he hit 165 299 304 that's the thing about a man that was coming off of a uh really sharp season the year before a 120 ops plus i'm on i'm on his b ref real quick here uh but let me go over to our page the WRC plus and OPS plus aren't rarely going to be so different that it would change the context of the conversation. Uh, it was actually 125 on the WRC plus. So he goes from 125 to 66 there. His fluctuations have been wild. 82, 107, 125, 66. That range there in those four seasons for Avila. That that's that's incredible. But I think he's a good he's a good veteran to kind of bring Kelly along as well. But he will cut into that playing time, uh, particularly against righties. So some of that higher volume for Kelly will be curbed unless he just hits the ground running. If He he can force himself in, Kelly can, if he hits like we've seen in A the last two years. 120 WRC plus in 2017 and 107 last year. He's a great uh, strikeout to walk type of guy. Almost one-to-one with regularity. He's got a little bit of punch. So we'll see what Kelly can do, and if he can kind of force the issue to where he's able to um, able to stave off Avila from taking time, I do like Carson Kelly. Let's talk about that Minnesota duo that uh, that's going to keep our boy Astadio down, at least for now. Mitch Garver and Jason Castro. Garver is going 358th, and Castro is going 558th. So they're, I mean, they're afterthoughts. Folks are more interested in Garver than Castro, even though Castro's the starter. That just speaks to what Garver was able to do last year. Um, he put up an appealing 268, 3, 335, 414 slash with seven homers in 335 plate appearances. Meanwhile, Castro only played 74 plate appearances. He had a season-ending injury, didn't he? Did he, like, rip a ACL or something? Let me look. Yeah, surgery to repair, torn meniscus in right knee. So that's not ACL, but that's a severe injury. That That's basically a lost season for Jason Castro last year. But they're bringing him back. He will be the starter. That one should probably be a little bit of a 55-45, though, as well, right? Because of what Garver was able to do. I don't know Garver's profile behind the dish. If anyone knows that offhand, and they could tweet me at Spore to let me know if he's somebody, is he a bat first guy, or can he handle his own back there because i know castro has a good reputation behind the dish and so that'll keep him into into some playing time garver could also snake some time at first base though and and sap some of cj crone's playing time although crone is coming off a great season so unless he flops it it won't be too much Um, but anyway i think castro it's it, super deep league, right? All all these guys, I don't think I need the caveat that we're talking deep league here. Um except for maybe one of the remaining guys, it, a little bit of a shallower league consideration, but they're all deep league, okay? But Castro, you know, he's been a solid like 90 93 wrc plus the last two seasons that he played. He was dreadful last year in his small sample before the injury. Uh, double-digit homer guy 18 14 11 11 10 the batting average can be pretty brutal though it's been in those in those double-digit homer seasons it was 276 that was the all-star season with the astros but then 222 211 210 and then it popped back up to 242 in 2017 so yeah i I think i would prefer garver as well even as a backup i prefer him to castro uh okay the next duo here You know, I was ready. I was ready to dive back in on one of my favorite picks from last year, Austin Barnes, but the trade of of Russell Martin curbs that. So Martin is going 483. Barnes is going way ahead at 355. Neither is particularly appealing to the fantasy community right now. Barnes flopped though on the heels of that nice breakout 2017 with eight homers, four steals, a two hundred eighty-nine average, and a near one-to-one strikeout to walk. He put together a two hundred five, three twenty-nine, two hundred ninety line with four homers, four steals in two hundred and thirty-eight plate appearances. Despite the swing and strike rate not really jumping up that much, it went from five to six percent. His strikeout rate went from sixteen to twenty-eight percent. He still took his walks. The Babbitt crater to 287. I think even with the Russell Martin trade, I still do like Austin Barnes as a C2. Now, I would want a premium C, C1, I should say, and premium meaning not just necessarily Sanchez or Riobuto only, but it could be my Ramos, Grandal, Posey, Contreras type there too. So if I'm getting one of those top eight, and then pairing it with Barnes, but ready to move on Barnes quickly. Because I did talk about the end game and how it can kill you. And, you know, I don't want to be sitting on a, an, a a dead spot for four months before I decide to make a move. So we'll see how the playing time play shakes out with he and Martin. Martin's going to be the starter, I believe. Let me see what roster resource thinks. Not that they're the Bible, but I like to see. Oh, they do have Martin um, as the backup. They have Barnes starting, so if Barnes gets the starting role, honestly, maybe I maybe I should be more. I'm, I'm talking myself into him. Maybe I should be more in on Barnes because the price is way down now. Remember last year, he was definitely a wide awake sleeper, fueled at least in 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 part by me not shutting up about him. Um, turns out that that was. Fine, that I didn't get them everywhere. Sorry if you did. I d- I did have them, guys. Whenever I'm that hyped on somebody, I do have them somewhere though. So I know it doesn't make you feel any better, it doesn't help you win your league anymore. But I go down with the ship. So it's not like I just pump these guys out and then I don't have them anywhere myself. But yeah, I think I'm back in on Barnes, and I'm still gonna have shares without a doubt. Russell Martin goes back out to where it all started, where he had his best seasons for sure. Although he had that one great year in Pittsburgh. That's his a- actual best season. But as far as his best stop, I think it would still be the Dodgers, right? It's because he used to be a speed guy there, too. Anyway, he went 194, 338, 325 last year and 352 plate appearances with the Jays, 10 homers, 0-for-3 on the bases. Still takes walks like crazy, 16%. Decent strikeout rate, 23%, but that was just awful. 234, BABIP he is going to be age 36 though for russell martin he should rebound but not to a level where i'm all that interested and so yeah maybe i'm not as scared of that move i think the name value was making me concerned more than the actual performance because i i think barnes is still perfectly viable so he's going to be somebody i've got as a c2 with some regularity let's talk about the atlanta duo now of tyler flowers and brian mccann and that this is what i was saying Um, I was saying they're all deeply, except for maybe this duo here, particularly Flowers. He and Kurt Suzuki were making the best catching tandem in baseball. Now, I'm talking about between two guys basically splitting the time. I'm sure that if you take Rio Muto and whatever clown was backing him up, it might be better. Or, you know, Gary Sanchez prior to last year and Austin Romine, they might have been, you know, if you're taking the star catcher, with the scrub backup it might have added up to something better but as far as two guys sharing time flowers and suzuki were incredible and they might have even been the number one even if you do allow those stars with their crummy backup to be included but the last two years uh, last three years really we've seen flowers be a nice asset now he did fall back a little bit last year off of the previous two seasons with the braves but uh, 270 280 227 is his average the last three years wrc plus is 110 118 95 so last year was the big fall off particularly in BABIP. he did improve his walk rate though uh to kind of compensate and keep that obp at 341 so he went 227 341 359 pop dropped off a little bit as well so we did see a fall off from what he had done in 17 but that was still a useful catcher he did pop eight homers in his 82 games let me see what what his value was for tyler flowers here uh sorry thumbing through thumbing through looking 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 he was only a two dollar guy last year so he's actually worse than i thought suzuki was substantially better of the duo I, I do wonder why they let suzuki go and kept flowers that's interesting but uh he'll be paired up with mccann and they should be a pretty sharp time share as well with flowers getting back to a role where he can focus more on lefties and then get some Playing time against righties. McCann coming off of one of his worst years, 212, 301, 339, just seven homers and sixty three games. Oh, that's who Houston had. Uh, that was part of their their catching. I was wondering who they had before they got Maldonado. McCann was there being terrible. He's gonna be age thirty-five. I kind of take back what I said about them them maybe working in shallower leagues. I'm not as I'm not as keen on that anymore. McCann's going pick 406. Flowers just ahead of him at 376. Eh, I'm pretty mad on on both. By the way, I don't think I mentioned Carson Kelly's ADP. It's 418. He's super cheap. So yeah, uh, eh, yeah. And I only, I don't know, maybe try to bet on a Flowers rebound. Although that volume is going to be tough. But if you think that he can get, if you think that he can get the playing time. Um, get enough quality playing time against righties and all that playing time against lefties and really surge back against lefties i think for his career flowers does have a platoon split let me let me check myself on that excuse me his career platoon split for tyler flowers is yeah 759 against lefties 690 against righties as far as ops goes let me see what his recent work against lefties has been like yeah, he's been really sharp in recent years. Last year specifically, that saved his season really because I talked about how he fell off and only had a ninety-five WRC plus. He saved that by raking against lefties to the tune of five homers. Five of his what? Seven? I said five of his eight homers. Three forty-eight. Five eleven. Five eleven. Six oh six slug. Five eleven OBP because he had twenty walks in sixty-six uh, in eighty-eight plate appearances. So yeah, that's Tyler Flowers. Um, and Brian McCann, and then the last one we've got here. Thanks for sticking with me for about an hour and a half. Hopefully, this is worth it. I tried to talk about as many as I could. If I missed some, I'm sorry. You know, even these, even this last group, I we're not we're not getting into too much fantasy viability. So I hope hope there isn't a lot of freak out about not uh, not going deeper and mentioning chance Cisco or. Austin wins. I guess that's both Baltimore guys or like the Colorado guys. They're, they're Colorado, right? Ionetta, Murphy, Tony Walters. People are always going to want to take a shot on them. They're in this same group though. At some point we're going to be saying the same stuff just with like a a slightly different context. But I did want to talk about Vasquez and Sandy Leon, more Vasquez than Leon and probably even more Blake Swihart than Leon. If they don't make a move there. Um, if only because both vasquez and swihart have had some of that speed that we've been talking about vasquez seven steals in 17-4 last year he only hit 207 though after hitting 290 in 2017 vasquez went all the way down to 207 last year pretty brutal but a 237 babbitt has to regress some even if it doesn't go all the way back up to the 348 of 2017 he should certainly get better They seem to really like him in Boston behind the dish too. So I think he's going to get the lion's share. I don't know that it's going to be a sharp split. Although he only played 80 games last year. So it was more of a split. So maybe I'm full of crap. I'm always willing to admit. Sometimes I'm just full of it. Yeah, actually they they really had the trio split. Now they weren't all behind the dish for like Swihart specifically. But all three of them had almost equal plate appearances. It was 288 for Leon, 269 nice for Vasquez, and 207 for Swihart. So part of it might have been that Vasquez was so bad though that maybe they just couldn't justify continuing to run him out there. Um well no, that's not true either. I'm full of crap twice, double doubling down on the full of crapness. Because in 17 it was 345 for Vasquez and 307 for Leon or 301 for Leon in plate appearances, and that's when Vasquez was beasting. So they just want they just want to do a timeshare. And I think that makes sense. Now Leon was garbage at the dish last year, even worse than Vasquez, and Swihart was the best of the bunch with a paltry sixty-four WRC plus. So the bottom line is, why aren't they running up the Marlins for Real Muto? By the way, is that the first time I said the bottom line is since I chastised myself all the way back at the beginning? Maybe. Who knows? Somebody go back through. No, just kidding. But yet yeah, Shouldn't they be interested in Real Muto? I mean, everyone should be pretty much, except for a, a very select few teams. But their catcher situation is kind of dreadful. You know, they've got... It's, it's like the quarterback thing. I've used this analogy on the show before. And my dad taught me this when I was young. If you have three quarterbacks, you don't have one. Quarterback's just not a position where you're really looking for depth. You want that standout elite guy um so yeah I, I i'm not too keen on this this group here i thought maybe it was a little bit better than what it is vasquez and leon and, and swihart like i said swihart and vasquez have a little bit of that speed component but if, it, if there's nothing else coming with it it's not that appealing they should maybe be out looking for somebody else so that's going to wrap up my up preview i'll be on all the rest but i just thought I didn't get to talk about catchers. It is kind of an interesting position, even though it is ugly. And uh, I recommend not just waiting for two duds, though. You will be hurting yourself. I know it's it can be tough to see at times because you don't just do a dollar value bottom line of your team at season's end. But they are robbing you of that volume, of that precious volume, and, and, and slicing into your quality batting averages from other guys, even if it's a shorter volume, because they don't play all the time. You don't want to do it. Live in the middle. Live in, you know, Ramos, Contreras, Grandal, Posey for your C1. Jansen, Alfaro, um, Willington Castillo. Maybe jump down into the Kiner-Falefa, Cervelli, Narvaez for your C2. Take a long shot on Barnes if you're going to get a Real Muto or Gary Sanchez at the top. But don't just go oh, I'm only going to spend $2 here and get get Garver and Flowers, and then I have all that extra money to spend in the market. It, it, you won't you won't make up that value. And uh, so, yeah, Ionetta, by the way, just to make sure I do mention Colorado with with some uh, viability, looks like Chris Ionetta is going to be starting, but Tom Murphy is going to be there lingering. We have not seen Tom Murphy really. I mean, Eno thought he was a fake catcher. He just didn't think he was a real player when I drafted him a couple years ago. We are still only 210 plate appearances into his career, though. He's going into his age 28 season, but he's spread that out over four seasons. He's never really gotten a look. And Iannetta, we've done this song and dance before in in Colorado. He's had some good seasons many, many moons ago. And and last year he was an 85 WRC plus with just 11 homers. So he's going to be 36. Murphy might be the late spec uh, if you really want to try anything. Oh, I did want to mention one other thing. Hang on, I had this this tab pulled up. I'm going to go ahead and do it. Hang on one second. Let me timestamp that. And then um, prospects. I will just do a, a prospects on their own here just real quick. Catching prospects are the worst prospects for fantasy. They're just not that good uh, because they rarely come up and, and do anything instantly. But I will mention a few of note. I'll just kind of look at the... I mean, Mejia still qualifies as a prospect, but some of the guys, so does Jansen. Some of the guys who could be up in relatively short order, uh, Kiebert Ruiz out in L.A., and Will Smith, they've got two guys there that are working their way up, but with Barnes and Martin there, they're a little bit blocked off, but we'll see if they get a chance to come up maybe do something. Uh, Sean Murphy is somebody who could come up in Oakland. Who's Oakland got? Did I even mention an Oakland guy? Who the heck are they starting? Let me pull up their page. Oh, Josh Fegley. Gross. So maybe Murphy comes up and actually gets some volume. He's an interesting catching prospect. Um, not much of a hitter that I've seen. Had a decent season at double A. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, you know, he's age 25. So we'll see, we'll see what he's able to do. Sean Murphy might be the most intriguing one. Joey Bart's too far away. He's the number one catching prospect in baseball, but too far away. Miguel Amaya. Yeah, uh, for the whites or for, excuse me for the cubs he's a few years off so he doesn't matter really right now zach collins could be interesting for the white Sox. he's somebody who is close-ish um and certainly could get a look this year and it's not like they have any greatness blocking that off there was one other one and i can't think of his name hang on one second he was in the arizona fall league and i want to see oh but never mind it's for KC. It's and he's behind uh Sal Perez, and so when you're behind Sal Perez, he actually debuted this year. I'm gonna get his name though, it's a difficult name to pronounce, but I'm gonna go get it. But when you're behind Sal Perez and you're a catching prospect, that's just that's a no. My breeze, Maybreeze Villoria, M E I B R Y S V I L O R I A, and he did come up and get 29 plate appearances as a 21 year old. And then he was in the Arizona Fall League. But like I said, he's behind Sal Perez. So did I really need to mention the catching prospects? No, I didn't. But I opened the tab intending to do so. So I figured I would go ahead and make that tab opening worth it. But don't draft catching prospects. Even in Dynasty League, don't do it. I think it's a waste of time. Maybe like a Joey Bart in in a Dynasty League because he is kind of the, the number one guy who folks have a lot of uh, interest in, but even he is not that interesting to me. Ruiz is probably my favorite catching prospect if I'm in a dynasty, league. Kiba Ruiz. K-E-I-B-E-R-T, Ruiz for the Dodgers. They should, I mean, it would cut up my Barnes pick again, but maybe they should be looking to move one of Ruiz or Will Smith in a Real Muto deal. But if they have two young guys coming up, maybe they're saying we don't need Real Muto. So that kind of works too. Anyway, yeah, the only prospects that you should be taking are Mejia and Jansen because they're actually MLBers already. They just qualify as prospects because of their small playing time. All right, thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed this. And I'll talk to you later this week when I'm with Justin.